people have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. Your mom goes to college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to cite your source. Who's your source? My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girlfriend. And that about sums it up. What up? And shalom. Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show. Better late than never, right? Um, my name is oh, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, theology matters. My name is Caleb Hegg. With me, finally, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? Hello. Man, I gotta say, we have had more technical difficulties this morning than we uh, we have in a very long time. First, Rob decided to turn his Bluetooth <laughs> off of his computer, which then made it so he didn't have a mouse. So we had to figure out how uh, how to how to uh, get uh, his Bluetooth turned back on without a mouse. Am I really loud here? I feel like I'm really loud. I don't know. I can hear. It, it sounds good to me. And but. then um, yeah, I'm gonna turn myself down just a little bit here. And then um, uh, for some just have reason, the producer do that. Yeah, exactly. Then totally. for some reason, my audio wasn't working correctly, and that was super mm. annoying. And then when we finally came on air, what happens? Rob's uh, video was not working. It's like three different, yeah, three different things all at once. Okay, anyway, well, here we are. How was your, uh, well, how was your final day of Sukkot? I know, because I was there. That's right, for that last week we had, uh, that was a week ago. Yeah, so for those who don't know, uh, my, cool. my family and I traveled last Tuesday morning, uh, not yesterday, a week from uh, yesterday, traveled over to uh, the Spokane Valley and spent two days in Spokane. Which is the, like, it's the place to go, isn't it? Like, Okay, yeah. Sure, <laughs> we'll just just keep telling yourself that. Um, anyway, so we, we went over for uh, family reasons, we, we went over, and uh, so we recorded our show early. It feels like it's been two weeks since we've had a show, but it's really, we just did it two days early. Um, and this is one reason that you haven't seen any short clips up on the uh, on the Rob and Caleb Show YouTube page, is because I was gone, and so I didn't clip anything. I basically kind of took a little bit of time off from all that. Um, but yeah, here we are. Here we are back again after Sukkot. So... Any uh, any great stories from Sukkot that you have to uh, you have to share? No, I'm, I'm just grateful that the the weather. It's like the Lord kept it. It was a blessing because during the nights it was crystal clear out, so you could see stars and moonlight. It was just really cool. So many evenings I went out and sat in the sukkah in the middle of the night, uh, and it was really cool. Yeah, uh, and then so it was like now it's windy. Now the wind wind season has come and rain, and so that was that was really cool to have all the rain and wind held off until after Sukkot. You know, I don't know why, but this year did not feel like a normal Sukkot for me. Uh, I didn't spend a whole lot of time in the Sukkah, unfortunately. 
and I think it's because we didn't. My suka needs to, the suka that I have is uh, huh. falling apart because of weathering, and uh, I need to I need to sit down sometime next summer, redesign the suka so that it's uh, easily put together and and all that kind of stuff. Right now, it's just it's a it's a disaster. So I didn't have my own suka up, which is one of the reasons that I didn't have a lot of time in in the suka this year, which is unfortunate. Actually, I would I would like to, especially now that my son my son turned uh, five years old this last week, and now that my son is uh, five, you know he's he's above the curve anyway. But I want him to really experience these things at a young age, so that they sink in and they really grab a hold. Um, and Sukkot is certainly one of those festivals, one of those holidays that is that is. Uh, fun for the kids as well. A lot of eating, a lot of hanging out with friends and everything. Hey, chat room, tell me how uh, t- tell me how the levels are if uh, <clears throat> if anything's off. Okay, um, let's get straight to it because I have some things to share here. Uh, I this came across my desk about three minutes before Rob's technical difficulties came up, and um, <laughs> so. Thank you to uh, Michael uh, for shooting this from his desk over to mine. This from FFOZ, and I just want Rob's opinion on this. This uh, seems like a good way to start things out. (laughs) This from FFOZ, which just got sent out. Dear FFOZ, this is a question to them. And by the way, they say this is by the FFOZ teaching team. Who's that? I, I'm gonna assume it's Boaz, Michael. I'm gonna assume it's Toby Janicki. I'm gonna assume it's um, Daniel Lancaster. Um, that's what I'm gonna assume as the as the teaching team. Maybe Franzak as well. I don't know. I I, I don't know. It's an ambiguous title, but um, I'm gonna assume that it represents all of the FFOZ thought. So this is a question posed to them. It goes like this. Dear FFOZ, I have recently come out of the One Law movement. Shame, shame. And one thing I stressed to Christians was that they have to keep the Sabbath. My question is, does Hebrews 4.9 actually teach this? Okay, well, let's go to Hebrews 4.9 and read it for everyone. That's the the Sabbatismus. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is the, uh, the text that is being referenced. So uh, this is the question that the gentleman has. I think they, oh yeah. Okay, so, um, and this is the response. It was, it, it was signed by P.S. So uh, this is their response. They say, Shalom P. We don't teach that Gentile Christians need to keep the Sabbath as Jews are commanded to. In contrast to Jews, Gentiles are free to drive to synagogue if they like. They can carry their Bibles with them on Shabbat. Jews, on the other hand, are expected not to light a flame, cook a meal, or carry even a small burden on the Sabbath. First of all, the question that I, and I'm, I'm reading a lot is of that, this on the fly, by is the that way. The end? Is that no, the end of it? It is definitely not the end. you got three more paragraphs. But the one thing I want to say here is, if carrying your Bible is a burden, maybe you got some bigger issues than, uh, anyway, not the point. Okay. 
They say this, however, there is no question that the only Sabbath the Bible presents is the Friday, Saturday Sabbath. If it begins at sundown on Friday and ends after sundown on Saturday, this is something that F of o and Z and I can finally agree on. The apostles never dreamed of keeping any other day as the Sabbath. The Gentile believers who came to faith in the God of Israel through Messiah had, okay, yada, yada. Uh, we do teach that Gentiles ought to remember the Sabbath as the Torah commands. They may rest on it as the Torah commands. They wait can a minute, even wait a minute. Wait a minute. So the commandment does apply. I don't. Yeah, it's. Uh, does it apply or not? Quick to the didache. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. you know, it seems to me. Uh, oh, yeah. what is this? Uh, thank you, chat room. Here, hang on, just a sec. Let me. Uh, let me. I'll post you a link uh, in the chat room. The chat room is asking for a link to this. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I. So once again, the question, you know, for those who don't know the argument that uh, people like FFOZ and, um, you know, Rob and I have had or other people in the One Torah movement, the huge argument is, okay, you say that parts of the Torah is for Jew, ethnic Jews and the, some of those parts are not for ethnic Gentiles. So what's the list? Show us the li list. Right? There is no there is no list. Well, That's actually, I think that the response by FFOZ has been, here's the Didache. The Didache's list is the, you know, this is it. This is the list. Um, but... The Didache doesn't specify on this, right? Yeah, it's just strange. I I, I really don't. Um, if they go to Acts four nine, uh, uh, Hebrews four, yeah, okay. They go to Acts fifteen twenty one, of course, which is also uh, starting to become part of my thesis now, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, this was a total side. What What are your thoughts, man? I mean, should we? It's should sad. We... It's just it's sad. Yeah, it goes back to the idea of love to me. Right? So if I tell my son, what's a good example? Uh, son, I you're not allowed to go in the front yard. You can only play in the backyard. Because the backyard is fenced. And uh, we don't live in a good neighborhood. And, you know, the next door neighbors has a dog that keeps getting out that likes to bite people. So you're not allowed to go in the front yard. You can only stay in the backyard because it's fenced. And this is for your own good. I'm giving you these commands for your own good. And I've put toys back there so you can play, and it's going to be more fun, right? I've given, you know, I give you blessings for being in the backyard, okay? And then I say to my daughter, that backyard is not for you. That backyard is only for my son. Now, you... You are my son, but you go into the front yard. You play in the front yard, not the backyard. I mean, this is exactly what they're, essentially what they're teaching God is saying. I love you, and so I've given you these commandments to, to my people. But these people over here, my people, they're, they're not good enough for these commands. They're not good, you know, I love these people more, so I give them the commands to, to bless them and to keep them and to be my people. These people over here, you're not good enough for those commands. I don't want you to have them. those commands. You can't even keep them. That's what it sounds like to me. 
And the fact that the, the fact that F of O Z is is uh, trying to say, oh, we don't discriminate against Gentiles. I mean, I mean, if we were Antifa, we'd be saying that they were racist, right? They're racist against Gentiles. We're not Antifa, thank heavens, and I don't think that they're racist. I just think that they are. This is a, an extremely skewed view of of ecclesiology. It's misguided. It, it's it's people that I have to assume have good intentions, but it's a, it's an example of good intentions does not imply wisdom. <laughs> no uh, doubt about that. In terms of in, and and so people are led into a area of thinking that is uh, non-sustainable unless they leech off rabbinic Judaism, unless they, unless they ultimately deny the core claims of, of Scripture and replace it or expand the canon to leech off of uh, rabbinic tradition and, and like Talmud, and, and then they start inventing things. So instead of teaching the Scripture, they start teaching other things. Um, that's, that's sad. I think you just use the Bible, do whatever the hell you like. Okay, let's move on. Let's go to an actual topic that we've kind of tried to prepare for. Uh, yeah, I, I was talking to Rob yesterday because we were desperately trying to figure out what in the world we were going to talk about today. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is that Rob is getting ready for two lectures at the at the SBL. Yeah, I got my book too. Look at that. Look at that. It's, the, it's like the size of the, like the white pages. pages. It's awesome. I'm actually more excited for the ETS this year. But Sadly, at, there's, there's, there's stuff in here that shouldn't be in here, too. Oh, but. of course. Anyway. Um, and, and not only that, but I was thinking next week we should do something on the Reformation since uh, October 31st, for those who don't know, is not just the celebration of Halloween for, uh, you know, the pagan, the pagan celebration of Halloween. It's also... Reformation, yeah, Reformation Day, right? Anyway, not the point. So, the, so uh, this Caleb, is Caleb. Why are you siding with the Protestants? <laughs> uh, well, I'm siding this with is history. Another thing that FFOZ tended to do then is to distance themselves from Protestant and and realign, you know, with this idea of of the legitimacy of the Catholic heritage as well as the uh, rabbinic heritage. Or is that that's um, Kinzer, um, and kind of siding like Messianic Jews and Catholics kind of becoming like uh, affiliated, and then having the Protestant be marginalized. I'm happy to be over there with the Protestants. Marginalized yes, exactly. In that scenario, absolutely happy. Ch- chat room wants to know what topics will you be speaking on in Rhode Island and Boston. So, uh, Rob is not presenting in Rhode Island. He's doing two lectures in Boston. Can I read you the the titles? And then you can expand on them? Well, yeah, but I can't get I can't give my whole paper. Well, no, but it's just a general overview. Actually, you know what? Actually that could that could take way too long. What I'll do is I'll look you fill us a bait while you while you talk. No, no, no. Okay, so so the first one is on the Masoretic text. What what are you trying to prove in the Masoretic text? Just try try just tell us what you're trying to prove. No, no, no. We don't need you to like read your notes. Just what are you trying to prove in the, with the Masoretic lecture? Oh no, it's it's I'm uh, my in the Masora section. I'm and we did a show on this last spring about the closed mem, 
Neymar Bay in, yep. in Isaiah 9. Um, what I'm doing, I, I after that show and prepping for that show, I like dove in really deep into that and discovered all sorts of cool stuff. And so I'm going to be talking about that. Cool. Things where there's, there's splits within between the rabbis and the scribes on the one hand, and then you have uh, medieval um, Catholic monks getting involved in the conversation. And they have awareness of both the scribal uh, side and the Talmudic side. And then you have medieval rabbinic commentators who are aware of the Christians' commentary on it. So you have this uh, conversation between uh, multi parties. You have, you know, tra- traditional rabbinic angle. You have <clears throat> Masoretic angle. You have um, Dominican monk angle, and then you have a, a rabbinic commentary angle, and they are all aware of each other and they're arguing. So, my paper for the Masora dives into that realm. Okay, so then then you teach on Galatians as well. Yeah, and then, and then I do a paper on the epistle to Galatians, which I'm super excited about. I'm excited for that too. And it is the, the theme is, is Galatians as competition is in a, in, in religious competition context. I, I can so, only assume that you're going to try to show that Paul was not speaking against Torah. Well, that's, that's going to be assumed, but the, the idea is that Paul's in a, aware that there are other people, uh, that he has to interact with their ideas in, in a way. So the the model or the theory of, uh, competitive uh, religious groups is helpful to uh, see into that what strategies Paul is using he uses a number of strategies to to anchor his authority and to undermine the claims of the of the opponents uh, and it's it's I, I Galatians is might be my favorite book in the apostolic writings I don't know for sure that it's just it's so amazing and it's been so misinterpreted and it and it uh also it's there's so much noise out there about what paul means here or there in the epistle to the galatians and uh and so it's wonderful uh, to dive in i'm going to record both of those sessions and we'll put them up uh probably somewhere uh so yeah it'll be good um the uh the other thing that should be noted is that um, I have, <laughs> I stepped out into a rabbit trail on my thesis that has become a now a whole section of my thesis, which is, uh, I, I, originally I wasn't going to, uh, should I even discuss this? Uh, essentially what you have is there's a variant in one of the texts in, uh, in Luke 22, 19 B through 20, uh, one of the Greek manuscripts that dates to the fourth century um, is believed to date back to an earlier Latin tradition. This really, uh, since this passage is a, is a focal point of my thesis, I'm having to now deal. Actually, I wasn't going to deal with it because there, there's been other really good scholars recently who have who've uh, done full, you know, 200 page books just on the on this one and a half verse, and right. so. Um, I was I was just gonna say, look, I take this view and cite this person and kind of be okay with it, and then move on to the the focal point of my thesis. However, I've realized that there's uh, some good points that can be made uh, that I don't believe have been explored fully uh, 
within this debate that do pertain to my thesis. And so I've been uh, frantically trying to all of a sudden get in a whole new strand of books towards this specific manuscript and the Latin tradition and all these kind of things, uh, which I wasn't expecting to do. Because of that, Rob and I are both kind of uh, doing – our time is going other places than, than uh, to a lot of, of uh, the normal preparation that we do for this show. And so we apologize for the mediocrity um, that is shining through in this, in this uh, podcast – uh, as of late, but we're going to try to pick it up uh, here in the next week or two. Actually, next week I want to do something on the Reformation because, as I was uh, about to say, it's the 500th anniversary of the uh, Protestant, the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, which happened on October 31st when uh, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the door. Now, th- some people might not know this, but actually this was the second time he nailed things to the door. I think originally he uh, nailed like 99 thesis or something. Anyway, not the point. Okay. Um, so let's go to uh, some of our – some of our. Que- we had a great question from Erna who's in the chat room right now, and I'm glad she's there. She said <clears> – pardon me. Actually, let me, uh, let me mute myself real quick. Okay, thank you. So here we go. And she says, uh, I continue to hear folks refer to Hebrew word pictures as if it's a given. This is a deal breaker or uh, is it this a deal breaker or irritating to you or is it just me? You, of course, have spoken to this numerous times already. I know. Would it be too redundant? Uh, but would it be feasible to do a more in-depth show spelling out the, this entire belief system teaching any... Uh, any element of truth, misunderstanding, whatever. What's the background? How did this start and when? What's the point? Is it error? Is it false teaching? If it is, then who is responsible? Does it matter anyway? Is it just a Hebrew roots or messianic thing? Does it cause errors in translation? Lou tells me, that's her husband, Lou tells me that uh, nothing of this nature was mentioned in his seminary Hebrew classes back in the day. Right. That's true. Um, in fact, when I told this was, uh, I think three years ago, two years ago, I was talking to a friend who attends a scholar who attends the uh, the uh, ETS and SBL. I think just the SBL actually, um, and uh, he uh, he was asking about some Hebrew roots things, uh, and my dad and I were saying to him, actually, there's this teaching that the Hebrew word picture that the Hebrew the Paleo Hebrew is word pictures and that you can derive, you know, extra meaning from these things. And you should have seen the look on his face. It was partially disgust and also just shock that uh, this was even a thing. So I think a lot of the scholars in the evangelical world don't even have to deal with this because it's such, it's so out there and it's such nonsense. Now, what I did, and this, uh, for people who get our show notes, you've already received this in your show notes, and uh, I've posted it on Facebook as well, and I'm going to cut to it. Uh, so, Rob, this will actually be up on the screen. What this is is uh, for those seeing on the screen, you can see that this is a bunch of emojis that have been put together, <laughs> and this is a Bible passage. What I did was I assigned a emoji to every, um, well, almost every English letter. And then I did a find and replace with every English letter in this passage. And so 
This is an actual Bible passage, and I haven't even looked to see if anybody has guessed it on... Um, Gary guessed it yesterday. Um, let's just take a look here and see if, uh, if anybody guessed it on our Facebook page. Um, this is an actual passage. And what I want to highlight here is, okay, this is essentially what people are saying Moses did. They're saying that this was all Hebrew word picture and, um, you know, that, that uh, basically he was writing with pictures, almost like hieroglyphs, and putting in extra meaning. And this is total nonsense. This is not the way that language works. And if you look here, right. now here's a uh, closer picture of the first word. Uh, you have an apple, you have nuts, and you have a dog. So this would obviously be the word and, A-N-D, right? Let's see if the chat room has gotten it yet. Uh, nope. Okay. So uh, this is actually Genesis 1. Uh, Genesis 1 and there's, I think it's almost uh, about half the half the chapter. Um, but the whole point of this is 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 to show that this is not the way that people write. I don't, you know, I don't, I can't take these these pictures. It's not at the level of the letter. The meaning is not at the level of the letter. Exactly. And when I write it's something, I'm not of thinking words. of these. You know, words I would put in order in a syntactical uh, framework. And I think that this is actually, uh, I, I mean, it might be branching out now. I think this is pretty specific to the Hebrew roots and or the, uh, and or the, the, the Messianic movement. I think mostly the Hebrew roots movement, right? I don't see this anywhere else. And this brings up a bigger, a larger topic, honestly. It brings up the topic of at what point do we, uh, you know, do we say this is nonsense? We're not even going to talk about it. I feel like in the, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, Rob. Do you want to talk a little bit about your experience? Which one? Well, I, here's here's <laughs> one here here's one way. I appreciate uh, the the email that she sent asking about this. We're happy to talk about it again. I don't think I think the very fact that we received a question about it, even though we've touched on it before, means that, that people are still in networks, you know, of communities that this conversation keeps coming up. And it's like, wow, here, consider, I, I've been just doing statistics lately, right? I, I Maybe if you've looked at some of the Facebook stuff I've posted, where's the first time the word right occurs in the scriptures? Katav. Good question. I, I have don't no know. Clue. Uh, maybe you'd maybe you guys would be interested to know. The word katav or any root thereof does not occur in the book of Genesis. Kaf tav bet to write. The first use of katav is is Exodus seventeen fourteen, where the Lord says to Moses, "Katov zot zikaron b'sefer." Write this as a memorial in the sefer. Um, that he, that he will utterly block out the the memory of Amalek, mitachat hashemayim from under the heavens. That's the first time Exodus seventeen. The first time you have writing mentioned. Now, because writing is something you do to a letter. You write a letter, or you write a letter meaning an individual character, not a letter like we think write a letter today, or write words. Now contrast that with the verb, for example, amar. To, to say. 
Amar occurs many, many times right in Genesis 1. Yes. So the words are being spoken. You could do the same thing with Shema. Many t- words that are being heard and spoken. So Caleb, I can talk to you. You can you can listen. You can formulate the idea. You communicate back to me. We have a conversation. And we never had to look at any letters. We didn't have to see the shape of the letter Mem or that an Aleph looked like an ox, right? That If I would have paused you say, well, was that an ox or was that a house, right? The letter you just spoke. And you'd be like, what are you talking about? That's not. That's nothing to do with what I was telling you because the meaning level is at the larger grouping of words together, and it's orally communicated. Let me. Let me. Let, wait, let me. No pictures involved. Let me. Let me restate. Let me try to see if I understand what you're saying. When Abraham's talking to the angel, right? This and this is before who is Yod Vave, and this is before Moses writes down the Hebrew word pictures, right? Right, well, I'm right, putting right. quote for those on the radio. I'm putting quote marks around the Hebrew word pictures. So Abraham is talking, and actually, this brings in predestination as well, right? If, if for those who don't believe in predestination but believe in Hebrew word pictures, was God forcing His will for Abraham to say things that would translate well into Hebrew word pictures, so that when Moses wrote it down. P- 2,000 years another, later... It would have a different message. Or yeah, so like 2,000 years later, Seekins could pick up the, the Bible and say, oh, look at this. Uh, it actually means fist hand, you know... Uh, Here, here's, a, here, here's another stat. Just in the Torah, if we just limit ourselves to the Torah, the five books, right? Rashid, Shemot, Vaikra, Bamidbar, and Dvarim. And we... How many times... Caleb, give me a guess. Do you think the root to write, Liktov in any form is, is used. In the in where? In the entire Torah? Yes, in the Torah. Just I, I, a random guess? I, 950 times. 38 times. Wow. How many times do you think the verb uh, amar, to speak, is in the Torah? A thousand times. 1,377 times. I was closer with that one. Okay, so if I just knew that alone, I say, Caleb, here's a book I'm, you're going to read. The, I, I want you to just look at the nature of writing and speaking and tell me what kind of culture do you think this is coming from? A, a culture where people are talking and listening? Or, or is it a writing culture where people are writing all the time and reading? Yeah. And you saw that the verb to say is used nearly 1,400 times in the Torah, whereas the word to write is used 38 times. I mean, what's the? that's like a crazy difference. Not only that, in the book of Genesis itself, hasn't nobody's writing anything down. There's nothing written down in the book of Genesis. Even the 10 word, when you get to Exodus, and it's the 10 words, it says, Vayomer, and he said these words. The, the unit of meaning is in clusters of words put together, not in any particular letter. The only, there is a word in Hebrew for letter, ot. But ot is never something that's written. It's, I will set my sign, my ot, in the clouds. I will... It's a witness. I will set a mark on Cain's forehead. Yeah. Um... Uh, I will give you a sign, and at the Shabbat, right, is a sign. Circum, um, Brit Milah, 
it's a, it's a, a sign of the Brit. Okay, these are not letters like we think A, B, C, or Aleph, Bet, Gimel. The word ot is a, is, it's a sign that has meaning, but it's not a written letter. And, and so, but people who are into the Hebrew word pictures, they, they're not, they're, they're in fuzzy thinking mode, right? They're, they're, um, I don't know exactly what, how to diagnose it, but there's a problem with the thinking. Um, it, it's, um, connecting things that should not be connected and then not connecting things that should be connected. And, uh, so that's, that's important that we, we see that the unit of meaning is in the clusters of words put together in a syntactical order. That's where meaning occurs in language. It's spoken and heard without any, uh, it's, you know, it's possible that an Israelite could have grown up, known much of scripture, many commandments of Torah, much of be able to recite many stories of Abraham and never write it down and never even look at a letter. Right? That's possible. Why would they have to if they just hear it and know it? They don't have to know how to write it. The writing was for the scribes. The scribes were the writing and then they would teach, you know, the other scribes how to recite. But the people who came to hear the word and had it explained to them, they weren't, they didn't have like a giant projector and said, okay, everybody, we're going to read this together. No, they heard it and they thought about it. They sung it. They recited it. They, you know, repeated it Shabbat after Shabbat, morning, night, etc., for the Shema. And they would hear it and discuss it with each other. And that's the, where the meaning is for the scripture. For, and that, that, that coheres with, with the way everybody, whoever is in the Bible who teaches with Yeshua at the, at the peak of those, that's how he teaches. That's the level of meaning of, of, of words clustered together. Nothing about taking a single letter out and then giving it an independent meaning and then getting another letter and it having it an independent meaning and then stacking these together and then insisting that somehow this is a little cartoon. That's, that is so foreign to the world of the Bible that then there's people like, oh, the ancient Hebrew research center or whatever with Hebrew word pictures. The people are lying. They don't even know it. They're so drunk with, with falsehood that they, I would say that they probably don't even know that they're lying. I had a conversation with someone yesterday who asked about Seekins and uh, Brenner and, and thing, and I said, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. I had the email history with Seekins. His degree's not even in Hebrew. And besides, he gets into Chinese and he says, oh, there's symbols in Chinese that have biblical meaning and just weird Indiana Jones stuff that is, it, it is such a distraction from so, okay. learning to read and exegete and teach the word of God that it's scary that people get excited and chase it. So and, the, and feed it. So here's, I was thinking about this while I was laying in bed the other night because, you know, and we could go deeper into Hebrew word pictures. The the fact of the matter is, is we simply don't know exactly how the, you know, how the paleo font came into being, but uh, um, we have no evidence at all whatsoever 
that uh, by the time Moses was writing that there was any picture attached to any word or letter at all. We have no evidence of that. Um, but I was thinking we about actually this. have evidence. We actually have evidence that it uh, that it wasn't, and this is how is because we have the ancient Canaanite text from Ugarit. They had a, a Semitic alphabet, but it's it's uh, cuneiform. There's no that's just there's there's no way you're going to read that pictographically. But it's an alphabetic Northwest Semitic script. Yeah, we have um, you know different uh, early. Uh, Ostraca, we have, uh, well, there's the mesh, we have Moabite, the Moabite stone, you know, we have ancient Aramaic. Well, here's, and here's the other thing then. Here's the other challenge. If, if word pictures are really a thing, then they should help us not just with Hebrew, they should help us with all ancient uh, Northwest Semitic inscriptions yeah, that use the same alphabet. Not only that, they should help with early Greek inscriptions because Greek used the letters that the Phoenicians brought. So the, in other words, the, the, the ox head actually look at the capital A in our English today is an upside down ox head from, from ancient Phoenicia. Ooh. So does the word, so can we use that for English? Can I use that because we preserve the A, our letter A is a, it comes from, Ancient Phoenicia, does it preserve the meaning as an oxhead now? It's just nonsense. It's, it's, it's Okay, okay, but here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is it, this is what I was thinking, and this will, this will move us into a different portion of, of this conversation. And, the, and this is it. I was watching uh, something on YouTube the other night. This guy. It's always dangerous. Uh, it was on Facebook, actually, I think, which is even worse. And, and this, Facebook has become a breeding ground for people to be able to get up and shout what they believe at other people. And, you know, basically, you're an idiot. And I, I give you two examples here. Um, and it, I don't think it helps. I don't think really these conversations on, on Facebook and uh, whatnot help that much. I mean, maybe they do. Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, this one guy, and I, I won't mention his name. He's a special case. He admits, he says, uh, you know, he, 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 in his live stream, he has three topics that he's going to talk about. Some of them prophetic, one of them, you know, otherwise ancient history, these kind of things. And all three of the topics hit on a different aspect of scholarly uh, categories, right? So, for instance, if, if uh, you know, uh, Rob goes to the SBL and he teaches in the Masoretic Studies, that's one category of, of scholarly uh, debate. If I go and I watch a, a session on, on uh, you know, the Eucharist, that's a totally different section of scholarly debate, right? So he's touching on, th this person on Facebook is touching on three different uh, uh, aspects of, of debates within, in, within the scholarly world. And he says, I'm not a scholar. Uh, he, says, he, he says, I'm not trained and I'm not a scholar, so go easy on me. Now, this person is now putting out videos trying to teach people what he believes the scriptures say. And what I realized is if you don't have a degree, you don't have any prospects, you're working at like, I don't know, the AM PM down the street or, or McDonald's. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you got a job at the AM PM or you got a job at McDonald's, 
that's all fine. Work is, is work is honorable. Yeah, that's all worthy. That's fine. Yeah. But I realize these there's people out there and they're thinking to themselves, hmm, how can I make more money? How can I, you know, how can I get into a job that's fulfilling and wonderful? Well, if I tell people what I believe about the Bible, that's it. I can I can make something out of that. Without the thought pattern of there's something that goes into to being able to do that right. properly. It's just, oh, the, you know, what's the quickest way to be able to do something without having to get trained in it? You know, even though it takes, you know, six to eight years to actually get a really decent education in, in you know, those kind of things to be able to work scholarly in these things. So instead mm. of thinking, oh, I could become a doctor and it would take all, it would take a little bit more time possibly, but not much more time than being able to work diligently in the in the scriptures. They think, I'll just cut all the, you know, I'll just shortcut it straight to teaching. And here's the problem, is that all of a sudden you have all these people commenting on this one person's post, this is great, wow, you, the Holy Spirit must be with you, um, you know, you're you're exegeting the scripture, you know, they didn't say exegeting, you know, yeah. you, your interpretation of this passage has brought new light, all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there going, this is nonsense. This person have no clue what they're talking about. And so at one point, I, I feel like this is really the trick of the enemy within the Hebrew roots, like trying to destroy the movement that is pushing back to Torah. And that is ignorance and conspiracy theory, right? It's the idea of conspiracy theory. And this idea of I've been lied to, therefore everything is suspect. Everything. How do you know? And therefore, that- I'm authority. Therefore, I'm an authority, and I, or I'm going to. I have the authority to question any authority. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, basically, what what you have happen is. Uh, here's my question. Here's the question that I have for the whole thing. The flat Earth is a perfect example. I've decided I will not take part in any conversations whatsoever about flat earth. And the reason why is because it's the most moronic thing I've ever heard in my life. It's not even worth talking about. And not only is it not worth talking about, but it takes the focus off things that are important, like the gospel, like the word of God, like things that are, you know, like things that will benefit us and benefit our faith, build up the kingdom, expand the kingdom, right? While this person is off talking about flat earth, I could be talking about the atonement that the, that has been made on the cross, right? I could be talking about textual variance in a specific given text to further our understanding of that text, right? I mean, so what's the benefit of, of talking about flat earth? Nothing. The only benefit to talking about flat earth is to uh, engage with people who think that they know better than you about something that is totally useless anyway, right? It's totally useless. So... I've had that practice now for several months. I just will not talk about those things. But at the same time, I feel like things like Paleo-Hebrew word pictures, the Aleph Tav teaching, you know, there's a lot of them within the Hebrew roots movement, right? It's such, it's so, it's such nonsense. Should we even be engaging in these? You know, I had somebody, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell this story and then I'll, then I'll, take my foot off the pedal a little bit, but I had somebody friend request me on Facebook. I accept the friend request. And the first thing that happens is he messages me and he says, do you know why Jesus died for you? And I think, Hey, great. Just, you know, this guy's, this guy's asking 
people, you know, he's going and asking people questions. Great. So I say, yes, I do. He, you know, he died. He came to die to pay the penalty of sin that I couldn't pay, but he could pay, but didn't have to pay. He paid for my transgression on the cross so that I could be in communion with him. This is what I say to him. He writes back and he says, wrong. <laughs> wrong. And right now, I, you know, all of a sudden my dreams of this person being, uh, you know, someone out giving the gospel to people are instantly dashed. Wrong. The reason Jesus had to come and die was because Israel was unfaithful and he divorced them. And then the only way that he could remarry them was for a death to happen. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about this. Uh, this is just a nonsensical argument all around. And I wrote back and I said, well, it, it, well, first I went straight to the guy's profile and he's got flat earth stuff all over his profile, which I'm convinced if you are flat earth, if you believe in flat earth and you're posting stuff on your Facebook about flat earth, it is simply the tip of the iceberg. You know how like you, you see those pictures where the iceberg is like this, you know, it's minuscule above the water. And then you see under the water and it's, the, you know, the size of like Texas or something like that. This is the like this is the amount of problems people have. The flat Earth is just the tip of the iceberg. And so I write back to him and I said, well, that's that simply can't be true because the Torah command is, is that if the, the if the woman goes and marries another, then they can't be remarried. But Israel never went and married another. And not only that, but God did not cease to be. Right? Yeshua died. God didn't cease to be. And so this, this certainly does not apply. And he wrote back one final time and said, well, it sounds like you know everything. I'm just trying to educate. I'm just trying to educate you. So, so how do you educate if you don't? know what your the truth is caleb how can if i don't know what the truth is what but, are my options for educating you but that's just it okay and this is this is the heart of, of what i'm saying if if these people in the hebrew roots and messianic movement who are so off the reservation they're putting their they're putting their eggs into the basket of flat earth and he uh, paleo hebrew word pictures and all this kind of stuff and they're so convinced that they're right and they're so on fire for this stuff that you're just an idiot who won't listen if you oppose it well, if they got the truth, if they, you know, if they think that they got the truth and they got, you know, and they have faith, okay, why should I waste my time on this? At what point do I step away and say, I'm not going to have these conversations with these people. You go and, and, and live in your dream world, your fantasy world of paleo Hebrew word pictures, all of Tav and flat earth. And I'm going to go and, you know, study real things and attempt to try to give the, the gospel to people. Instead of being on Facebook pages trying to convince people that you're going to fall off the, the edge of the earth if you go too far, it's an honest question. I'm asking you, Rob. At what point do I do we do we stop step away? Yeah, I, that's a. I don't know. Prayer, 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 prayer for wisdom. I mean, the other question is the other question is how much is your time worth? Well, because here's one thing: Yeshua says, "Don't throw your pearls before swine." But does he what mean he, the unbeliever? He's talking about people there. But is, that, does it? That, but, you, that don't. He's going to say there's people that you just that don't don't waste your time. Your time is more precious. What you have to share is more precious than than trying to. And it, he does the same thing when he sends the tubes out, and he they say, you know 
when they go to a, a house, you know, if the people reject you, move on. Don't don't sit there and, you know. And so at some point we have to trust that and learn to discern. And I don't think we learn that right off the bat. I think we learn by trial and error. We we uh, in in a lot of regards here. Miles in the um, chat room, he st- says. I used to Caleb. I used to think that the. Back, I mean, we've talked about this before. In the 90s, I got a hold of Lou White's Fossilized Customs, and it was like my new Bible. It, was, it became like the Bible for me. I didn't even need the Bible now. Okay, perfect example. Because I, had, because I had Fossilized Customs. Not only that, I had the chart on the back that had the pictures and told me what it was. So then when I bought a Hebrew Bible, I could go through and I'd say, okay, ox house. Okay, ox house. Oh, ox is like strong house or the strong house. It's a strong house. Or is it the strong man, the strong person in the house? So it's the word of, which is father. Like in that, it's just. Okay. So wait, hang on just a sec. So so the question is, what's the difference between you and the people on Facebook? And I think Gary, wait, Gary, Gary put up a great, uh, great scripture, which is Proverbs 18.2. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. In other words, you wanted the knowledge. You wanted the real knowledge. And so you you went out, you did the hard work. Here's the thing. Here, exactly. Here's the question. All the people I knew back then that were into this and all the people that are still in there, I have to say, well, how do you explain me? Why am I no longer there? Why am I not a lunar Sabbath? Why Grace am of I God. Not, why am I, why am not, why am I not following Michael Rood? Why am I not Certainly into, the grace of God. Uh, two house in the way that, you know, the, the Wootens, the way they were teaching it in the nineties. Why am I not paleo Hebrew? Right. Those, all those things were in the air in the, you know, mid nineties, mid to late nineties when I became aware of them. Uh, why am I no longer there? And there's still people, there's people there. And so it's like, but it is, it's, it's grace of God. I, I, to me, it's like, I gotta be able to, I got the sense that I was just following other people's whims. And I was like, wow, I don't really, I'm not really building anything and I can't build on rock. And that was a, that was a crisis for me. And that, but the Lord used that to drive me, I think uh, in many ways to fuel doing the hard work. Miles in the chat room says the issue takes over gatherings and affects relationships in some cases. So actually these things may be more serious in the body than distractions, sadly. That's just it. I mean, I think it's. A, I think that these things are a tool of Satan to come in and and uh, tear apart the body. Here's the and you know this has been happening ever since uh, ever since the Messiah was on Earth, right? Paul writes to the first to the Corinthians in First Corinthians, and he says, you know, uh, these things have been tearing you apart. But I'm telling you know, love each other. Okay, let's move on. Believe it or not, that wasn't it. Okay, um, I don't know how much of this to to uh, to read because this this person uh, was very kind to give us a background of where they were coming from. Uh, highly Pentecostal, holy roller, um, going to the Crusades, started investigating some, where some of these. Uh, where some of these things came from and the people who were teaching these things was disillusioned a bit by those, uh, by those people. 
I started to question whether or not uh, this was exactly what the Lord wanted, all these kind of things. Um, so I guess I'll start here. All of the, the above needed to be said to address our concerns and viewpoints on the Aaronic blessing and other Jewish practices of prayer. This is actually very interesting because right now I'm, um, you know, my my mind is, is fully uh, consumed with uh, the study that I'm in right now. It's, I, I mean, it, <laughs> the other night I was trying to go to sleep. I got in bed at nine, nine o'clock when I normally get in bed and uh, I my mind would just not stop, you know, at one o'clock, I'm literally next to my bed on my, you know, still typing in, in my thesis notes. Um, and so prayer is one of the things that I'm, I'm having to investigate and the origin of liturgical prayer in the, in the church, um, which is actually a very fascinating study. Something, another thing I had no clue I was going to be investigating when I, when I started on this journey almost a year ago. Um, and so, I've actually been very interested in um, a lot of the, the traditional Christian liturgy, which I'm not at all familiar with uh, growing up in a non-denominational Christian church uh, that was leaning Baptist nonetheless. So um, anyway, so this person says, uh, we have seen the ironic blessing spoken as a type of special spiritual experience. I actually, I recognize this as well. Uh, in certain groups, not all, but in certain groups, which means when it is spoken, it rises above any other blessing and its impact on those who receive it. Christian, uh, and they put in brackets, Christian television. For us coming from the background of using Jesus' name, pleading the blood, quoting scripture as some magical formula to get God to do what we want, name it and claim it, when hearing this blessing used as some special formula, causes warning flags. I understand that. I get that. I can understand. I'm not necessarily agreeing with what they're saying, I, I, but I understand where, where the concern comes from. And I, I see, I see why the flags could be raised. The warning flags. They go on. Another example was a woman's Bible study. They purchased prayer shawls. So they, uh, when they covered themselves with it and prayed, it was far more likely to get the prayer answered than if you prayed without it. The spiritual experience was far greater than anything they ever had before. The flags are raised and I have not purchased a prayer shawl. The ironic blessing is beautiful. And when it is spoken without the added hype of any special spiritual benefits, we rejoice in the word of God. But if there is any indication that special privileges have been granted by hearing or receiving the blessing we have left the building. Maybe we are the only ones who come from such a deeply embedded background who listen to your shows. So our perspective could be from a totally obscure position to others who listen. Forgive, forgive us if we sound foreign in our perspective and certainly our education is lacking, but not near as much as it once was. And Baruch Hashem for that. Um, so this is a great question. And I've uh, we've, ta we've talked a little bit about things that I would put in the same category, even though they weren't specifically the ironic benediction or the prayer show. I think that anything, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Rob, you, I mean, I think that you can speak to this as well. I think that anything that is used, no matter what it is, anything that is used in an attempt to control God is idolatry. And I think that's what idolatry is. You know, you put the little statue in the corner of the room, and if you put food in front of it, you can manipulate the God to come so he'll hear, hear your prayer. Or if you light the incense, the God will smell it 
and uh, and be attracted to it, and then you can manipulate your the god in, in this way. If we think that this is what, and this is one reason that I believe so heavily now, which I didn't used to, but one reason I believe so heavily in, in predestination and the sovereignty of God, do my prayers affect God? Apparently so, because the scriptures say that my prayers affect things. Does it affect change? <clears throat> I don't know. I believe it affects my relationship with God. But is my prayer going to stay God's hand in terms of the earthquake that was going to happen in Chile next week? I don't think so. I think God has already determined whether or not those things will happen or not. But certainly prayer is important and certainly the outcome of our prayers, you know, are important. Um, however, my point is, is that I don't pray because I think that if I pray this way, <clears throat> pardon me, if I pray this way, or if I say this thing the right way, I'm going to change, I'm going to be able to manipulate God into doing what I want. Right? right. Why do we, why do we pray? We don't pray to change God's mind or so that God will love us more. No, Yeshua tells us he already knows what you need. Exactly. Before you ask. So, so Yeshua is telling, what is he teaching us? It's not because God needs to hear, learn something. Right. And <laughs> yeah, it's for us. It's for us. It's for Absolutely us. Absolutely for us. And he longs to have <clears throat> he longs to have intimacy with us. I asked my five year old the other day, this is about a month ago, so he was four then, but I asked him, I said, Ben, why do we pray? He said, Because God commanded it. And th my kid's smart. He's figured out that usually when I ask him a question, the answer probably has something to do with the idea of because God commanded it, right? So that's like his go to answer. <laughs> I say, yes, but why did God command it? And he said, I don't know. I said, well, you're my best buddy, right? And he said, yep. I said, okay. So what would it be like if we never talked? Would we still be best buds? Oh, that's that's a good. So the point is, is that. What did our... he say? Did, he, did that give him pause? Yeah. I mean, it got, he said, no, why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we talk? I said, exactly. God is supposed to be not only our best friend, but we serve God because he loved us so much. He loved us first. And so the point is, is that we talk to God because we are in a relationship with him. He's our best bud. And the point is, is that we are in covenant relationship with God. If we, but but prayer, my whole point in this is that prayer is not to manipulate God. If you think that, and we've seen this, my father and I have seen this when we've uh, gone to other countries before. You know, we'll go to a, and even here in America, we'll go to places and people will say, oh, would you be willing to pray for my child because X, Y, Z? Can you, can you give me a special blessing because I'm dealing with this? And there's almost this thought of because you're a teacher or because, you know, because you're the speaker that has been asked to come here, you have a better your red telephone is more direct to God than mine. Right? That's the idea. You must be, you're, you're more holy, so God will hear your prayer more. But the point is, is that any child of God is exactly, the, we're all on the same plane, plane in terms of holiness, right? The only holiness that we have is through the shed blood of the Messiah Yeshua. Now, granted, there's different levels of sanctification, but does God see that as one child being better than the other? 
In other words, my blessing, just because somebody called and said, hey, can you come out and teach us about this? My blessing is not going to affect God's mind on the matter more than your, your prayer is. And so it's, we're, we're very careful to try to say, well, we'll certainly be willing to pray with you and for you, but, you know, we don't, let's be very careful about, you know, we're, we're not better. God doesn't love us more. He loves all of his children equally, right? Mm. So the point is, is that if you're putting on a prayer shawl because you think God's going to come and, you know, he, he sees that prayer shawl as, a, you know, like the holy of holies that he can come into or something like that. Or if you think that the ironic blessing is uh, going to give you more uh, blessing or the, the same thing was with the prayer of Jabez. Do you remember this little book, the prayer of Jabez? Yeah. Uh, William, no, Bruce Williamson or something like that. Yeah. Bruce uh, Wilkinson. Wilkinson. There we go. You know, Wilkinson was a, is a, is a great teacher. I've taken other, I've read other things and taken a course from him. Um, is it, do you learn how to pray better? <laughs> no, I mean, no, he was, he was a good teacher, but <clears throat> I don't, I don't know if, if he, I don't, I think it was a misstep, this whole prayer of Jabez thing. Um, you know, and he starts the book out with all these ideas of, oh, this person prayed this prayer and, you know, three months later they were, you know, it was almost like, it's almost like prosperity gospel through prayer kind of a thing. And I agree that we should be willing to come to the Father and ask for the things that we need and, and to ask for blessing and to ask for the thing, you know, even ask for things we want from time to time. Um, but at the same time, the idea that if I put these, you know, if I use this piece of scripture, I'm going to be blessed. I'm, I almost feel like this is a form of idolatry. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, the chat room, this is a great comment. Carl, Carl Mangus says, uh, then what is the point of saying the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much instead of just fer uh, fervor prayer, fervent prayer avails much? I love that line. That's in the book of James. Of the righteous. Right? That God hears the prayers of the righteous. Yeah, why? Great, great question. Why? And and this is because it is an excellent Yeshua. question. They're in Yeshua. Yeah. Yeshua says, "Whatever you ask," he says, "You're you're gonna you have fellowship now with the Father through me." You are you. It's a wonderful question. It means that if it's just like he says, well, what's the what we call the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. If I if I've if I haven't worked out uh, my issues, then my heavenly Father is going to say, "Okay, look, you you've in a way your communication with the Father is 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 going to have noise." Just like Yeshua says, if you bring your korban, you bring your gift to the altar, and then you find out that someone has something against you. You got to drop that, and you got to go take care of that. So that's part. Of, that's part of our sanctification process. But to be in Yeshua, if we're truly His disciples, then we are searching our hearts. We are seeking to walk in forgiveness and 
in we're in discernment of the fruits of the spirit and seeing that increase in our life and god is happy to 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 hear our prayers and to actually through our it's through our abiding in the shema that we have desires of things to even pray for and that's right that's the point that's the point right there one to pray for like let's say i'm you know i'm having quiet devotional prayer time and all of a sudden someone i haven't even thought of for 15 years comes on my mind i used to think oh this is just like a distracting you know okay and then it's like no wait a minute you know I'll pause it and I'll pray for that person. And and I think that that is where the Ruach gives us these little nudges of like, you know, here, pray for this person. And sometimes we don't even know what we're praying for. Paul says that, in, I think, in Romans 8, right? He says that, that we don't even know how to pray, but the Spirit groans, that there's a, that there's a, a deep spiritual longing for for the world to be set right and for us to be in the in the kingdom where yeshua is is governing you know things in a way that are much more clear in our life and that that all the evil has been banished you know there's there is a longing for that that is also part of our prayer time and uh, I, I think but yeah it, he puts those those requests in our heart he already knows we have them he's put them there and that's part of that conversation. It's teaching us how to value what he values rather than to default with the training that the world wants to instill in us of what to value. I think that uh, Lois essentially said this in the chat room. But the, the scripture that comes to mind is uh, whoever prays in – whoever uh, – pray. I'm paraphrasing. Whoever prays in my name, uh, you know, it, it will be given to him. Well, not everything that we pray in the name of our Messiah Yeshua is is granted, right? What does it mean? It means everything that we pray according to the will of the Father. That is, th- those who are in covenant relationship with the Messiah Yeshua, our will begins to align more and more and more with his will. And it's not the will of the flesh, Right. It's not the will of dep- of the depraved man, but it's the working of the Holy Spirit, just like you were saying, within us. That is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Our wills begin to align with what the Torah says, with what the Scripture says, and with the with the Holy Spirit and with the Father, right? And therefore, the uh, the passage that Carl has brought up about the fervent prayers of a righteous man, the. A righteous man is a man who is in the Messiah, that is, has covenant relationship with the Messiah, and continues to align his will with the Messiah's will. And any time that the that a righteous person or a person who is in Messiah prays according to the will of the Father, he is heard, and his and his prayer is granted. That's right. And even in the same epistle, James or Yaakov says, "We." We he he wants us to guard our hearts from presumptuous presumptuous um, thoughts of the future. Like he says, don't say, "Oh, we're going to go do this, this, and this." He says, "With God's help, Lord willing, we will do this, this, this." In other words, James elsewhere in the epistle is is saying, "Look, you got to rein in that tongue. You got to rein in that this." automatic thought and this is 2000 years ago we it's still here today that presumes 
it's Caleb. It's an example of like going to Boston. Okay, this is a this is a gift. I, this is such a wonderful opportunity. But you know what? I when I tell people, well, I say, Lord willing, I'm going to be in Boston and have this opportunity to present these these papers. No doubt. Um, I, I I have no knowledge of the future. Right? I I don't presume. I I plan as if we're going to be there. Obviously. We plan, but ultimately in prayer, we're like, Abba, you're, this is your provision, and according to your will, uh, this is what we are seeking to do, but it's your, this is, a, this is your business, not, not, for, not for our glory, not for my glory. Um, and so that's an important part of our discipleship is, is getting our schooling in that class whatever the class you would call that of <laughs> discipleship high or <laughs> discipleship college. Um, that's one of them. I see the, the yeah, I, I mean, I was thinking about what you said about, you know, going to the ETS SPL. It, to me, it's a gift from God. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it is something that I look forward to every single, uh, every single year. There's no doubt about it. You know, each one of, when, <laughs> When my daughter was born, it was, uh, no, was it my daughter or was it my son? It was my son. When my son was born, it was in October. And my wife, uh, we had, you know, we obviously had a brand new uh, one-month-old baby. And because of that, I knew that it wasn't going to be feasible for me to go to, where was it that year? Oh, it was in Cincinnati. Chicago. Yeah. It was Chicago. <laughs> Chicago. We, we, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and uh, I mean, I was elated to have a new child, obviously, and, and to have my, my son. But there was a piece of me that thought, you know, it's been a month. My wife yeah, can't handle this. Yeah, he was born this. in 2012, right? Because yeah. he just turned five. Yeah, yeah, so that was 2012. And, and, and there was a piece of me that thought, you know, when you guys were off, you know, sending me pictures, uh, right. I, uh, there, was a, there was a piece of me that thought, you know, my wife could have handled this by herself. I could have been there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, the Lord is gracious to uh, to allow us to go to these to these meetings, and they they certainly are uh, a blessing to us. Okay, you know I have two other things, or what at least one other main topic in my show notes. But we've been going now, even with our technical difficulties, we've been going for an hour and ten minutes, and I have a, a good distinct feeling that if we attempted to try to hit on this, maybe not. You want to go with one more? What was our? I, I'm trying to blame. Well, was, I'm I'm throwing this out there. You know, I want to know. It, it's the and you can. I'll, I'll give you the rundown. You can get, tell me whether or not we should punt it. It's the idea of at what point is a leader or a teacher disqualified? Okay, this is a good. I'm glad you asked this question. Here's a. Can I give I don't you? A, know if can, this relates. I was listening to Dennis Prager's show the other day, okay. which, and it was the. I think it's Tuesday mornings. He's got one of the ultimate issues hour, I think, on Tuesdays at whatever. A big fan of, of Dennis Prager. And he said, if he put it this way. He, now, he wasn't talking. It was ultimate issues hour, I remember. But he brought it down like in a flesh and blood parable. And, and it really got me thinking. And I don't have an answer. So I want to put this out there and hear people's thoughts. He said, if you needed heart surgery... And there were two surgeons in your area. One guy was the best heart surgeon in the world, but he was a drunk. He, he like 
was a uh, he's smoking a doobie these, outside of yeah, the emergency room. Bad habits, <laughs> all these horrible character traits, womanizer, yeah, uh, uh, you know, whatever. And then you had another guy who was like morally like super nice, like goes to church, believer, but, yeah. but was not that good at heart surgery. What would you do? Who would you go to? And Dennis Prager's like, I'm going to go to the best heart surgeon. <laughs> like, no, you know. Maybe he smokes the weed to make his hands steady. <laughs> this is like, why would you choose a person according to the wrong uh, of what your goal is? Right. If my goal is to get my heart fixed by the best guy, I got to go to the best guy. Rather to the guy I think is nice, and then I so I change my qualifications. Well, I need heart surgery, but I want a nice guy to do it. That is a, a <clears throat> uh, there's a category shift there in the thinking, and I started thinking, okay, what would it look like? Now he doesn't take it into the theological realm, but what I'm saying, let's take your question, Caleb, and say, can we somehow modify Prager's parable to apply in a in a theological? deal. You, you kind of touched on it earlier when you're talking about, okay, do I want to be a brain surgeon? That's going to cost me 16 years. Do I want to be just a, a general, you know, MD, uh, maybe eight years plus a little bit. Um, or do I just want to be a, get my, a legal assistant two year degree. Right. And of course you're like, well, what kind of time, what are my skills, etc. are that, or do I just want to get on the internet and post what I think the Bible means and do that and, and keep another job. And I think these questions intersect at some level. We're talking about competencies. What are the, what core competencies are required? Um, now one difference is that if, if we have someone who in the Bible it, or is a, a Bible teacher, they're expected to, to, uh, also be practicing what they're preaching, right? I mean, that's a core uh, difference when we're talking of things of pertaining to God's Word. Um, but Paul, in Corinthians, he mentions that there are people who, will, who are peddling the Word of God for, like, profit, for unjust gains. And he's saying, we're, we're, we're not handling the Word of God deceitfully, but, but with sincerity and truth. And doing it freely, right? And so even Paul, this gets into that competition <clears throat> model or theory for understanding Paul's interaction with some of these others that we can we get traces of in his letters, is how does Paul differentiate himself from these other people? Well, one of these ways is say, look, the, the people that you're they're listening to, their their motivations are clearly mistaken, and they're they're not understanding who Yeshua is, and that Yeshua gave his life. For, t- for teaching the truth, that we would take that truth and move forward boldly in spite of what social pressures to the contrary are going to be. Um, and so there is this element of, well, was it Simon Magus? Who was the guy in uh, Acts? We were talking about this at Hard Messiah the other day. Um, people who used or they desired power like Simon Magus. Oh, I want that, right? Or uh, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, right? Were they, were they really part of the group? 
you know, or were they trying to appear to be somebody? And it's so important that Paul says it how many different ways in different letters. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You need to have, we need to be sober minded. We need to see ourselves in our frailty, in our fallen, uh, fallible nature, because that's not where there is any, there's no glory there. There's the old man has to die. The glory is in Yeshua's resurrection life. And, um, but it doesn't, but being a, a participant in the in Yeshua's resurrection life does not automatically download into a person the skills of like learning Hebrew or the skills of learning Greek and Boy, all the issues, all the issues pertaining to textual history. Caleb, like you're talking about variants, those are skill sets in the physical world in this world, just like brain surgery, just like learning how to to build a car engine, just learning how to. Um, build a house, you know, whatever the different skill sets that are demanded, uh, studying the word of God is, God made it this way too. He put it in the world. That's why you have the Bart Ehrmans of the world, who's an expert in Koine Greek, knows probably much of the apostolic writings by heart, but he doesn't believe a word of it, right? He believes it's falsifying, misquoting Jesus, it's, uh, there's power, power struggles and they're inventing a religion and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's like, well, what can you do? So there, there's the conundrum, right? But you know what? If I was just going to take a New Testament Greek class and I had Bart Ehrman and then a Hebrew word or a, a Hebrew word picture kind of Greek guy, I'm going to go take a Greek class from Bart Ehrman. If that's all my options were, I'm going to go to someone who actually knows how to read and understands the grammar. I'm not learn. I'm not there to learn their ideology, and their theology. But I'm going to learn according to that skill set because that's the person who, who obviously has that skill set down. And and what we as disciples we end up kind of building our toolbox. If we have m- multiple skills that we need, um, and most of them don't pertain to how to read Hebrew, or how to read Greek. They have they how to, they pertain to how to love one another. That's where the main skill sets are. And even those, you don't just get through a drive-through window. The learning to love one another is an ongoing process our whole life. Why? Because one of the reasons is because we're all moving targets. We're all changing. And so I learn, I learn, I make a mistake and I inadvertently offend somebody or I get angry and I say something stupid, hurtful. Then I go back and I'm like, you know what? Wow, I can't believe that was in my heart. I'm ashamed that that came out of my mouth. Please forgive me. What can I do to 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 make this right? And then in my prayer time, Lord, help me grow and discernment as to why that came out of my mouth. I just I don't want that ever to happen again. Okay, so now the next, so see, I'm changing as the relationships are changing, and that's on and on and on. And those skills get sharper and sharper. So I have I have several questions here about this about this point in general. First of all, let's read uh, the scripture that I've pulled. First Timothy three two says, "Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, a husband of one wife, sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach." So. Able to teach—that's a good one. Here's the first question I have: Is there a difference between an overseer? 
which I th- think of as community, like regarding a community. So, for instance, you're yeah, an overseer. Episcopus is what yeah, it is in Greek. You're an overseer at Heart of Messiah. Um, I'm not an overseer at any uh, at any congregation currently. Thank heavens. I pray every day that I will never be. Um, but some people have said, well, you are a teacher, Caleb, right? I've given lectures before at various conferences. Yeah, uh, a teacher's not necessarily an overseer. So does this apply to a teacher? Well, James, back to the one that Carl brought up, James says, don't be quick to be a teacher, right? Yeah. So I guess my point, and, you know, is there a point where a teacher is disqualified? So, for instance, back in the 90s, in the late 90s, Michael Rood basically said that, uh, what was it, uh, 9-11-99 was going to be like something horrible was happening, right? Do you remember this? And and at the same time, Monty Judah, uh, he, uh, Michael Rood date set, right? He was a date setter. Monty Judah at the same time, as we've talked about many times on this show, did the same thing, right? He, uh, he, he prophesied, uh, what was it? The the beginning of the tribulation. Monty Judah went so far as to say, if I'm wrong, label me a false, false prophet and throw me on the trash heap. So does date setting and falsely prophesying discount you as a teacher? I mean, I think that both those men have discounted themselves as a teacher after that by continuing to put forth just total nonsense in their teaching. In other words, their teaching itself has proven them to not be good teachers. Um, but they. But here's the thing. But they're probably skilled in leadership. Probably. In other words, yeah. in terms of just in the world, because obviously people are they lead people and people follow. So there's there's a skill set they have in terms of leading. I don't, it doesn't mean it's true because Yeshua says the blind lead the blind, <laughs> right? So even a blind person can lead because the skill set of leading has to do with convincing other people to do what you're asking them to do and to follow you. It doesn't mean you're, it's not an indicator of truth, right? Being a good leader is not an indicator of, of truth. Um, and that's a scary thing, but that's the way the Lord has constructed this. And so all the more on us to grow in discernment. See, I think that a person who, a man who commits adultery on his wife, that is a teacher or a leader should step down and and doesn't have a place teaching anymore. At the same time, I think that that's not a sin that can't be forgiven, but that I think that that disqualifies a person as teaching the word in a public forum like that. Now people should you know, those kind of people should still be able to obviously share their faith, give the gospel, be part of uh, a community and or that's honestly, that's debatable, too. But not the point. They should be a part of a community, whether it's the one that they were in when they were caught in sin or not. That's a totally different matter. So there's ways to still obviously still be a believer. Right. <clears throat> But, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. But at what point, you know, and this all comes from, I was I was on, you know, it never fails. Uh, 
you know, Jim Staley, who is with Passion for Truth, is in prison right now for essentially, I mean, I'll say it harshly, for ripping off a bunch of people and taking, you know, essentially stealing money from people by selling them uh, bad uh, stocks or bad uh, bonds or something like that, uh, which he denies, even though he, he pleaded guilty in court to it, okay? But he says, well, the circumstances... The circumstances were extenuous. I didn't, you know, I was looking at 20 years and it was essentially no contest. I didn't realize what I was doing was wrong. Um, and, but it, it comes to find out it was wrong. Okay. So he gets put in prison for five years. Now, many people I think would say this right here says that he's probably disqualified from, from teaching. Others are going to say, no, he's innocent. You know, this is an, att an attack from Satan. Then the congregation that he's a leader of, Passion for Truth, makes a statement, dissolves Passion for Truth, because they say that he was misappropriating money. Essentially, one of the same, you know, once again, same realm, doing something wrong with money from believers. Oh, yeah. You know, and so I get online and I find out that, well, Staley hasn't missed a beat. He's still teaching. You know, he's got this, uh, it's called the Staley Family. I think it's like staleyfamily.com or something like that. And if you go to his blog, so on the, re the left-hand side, this is, at, uh, this is the only link I put in your show notes. If you go to his blog, which is the link in the show notes, it takes you to Jim's blog. And this is the uh, disclaimer that he has to have under, it says Jim's blog, and then underneath it, in very small letters, it says, this blog byline is pursuant to and regulated by 29 CFR yada yada legal authority uh, postings to this blog are republished emails or letters received by SFM and posted yada yada in other words basically what they're saying is the prison has to they approve everything that he puts out in other words the prison reposts everything that he puts on is this a witness to the Messiah Yeshua that somebody who's ripped off a bunch of people of money, including believers, is continuing to teach? I, I mean, it's an honest question. Is he disqualified? Is someone like Jim Staley disqualified? Because it seems to me that what's going to happen is he's going to get out of prison and he's going to have a thriving, already set up ministry that he's going to go into. He's going to continue to teach. And not only that, but if you have watched any of our shows, the stuff that he was teaching was total nonsense. At what point does a person look at, at uh, what the Lord has dealt them? In other words, you've been you've been put in prison for, for ripping people off, whether you believe you've did it or not. And then the faith community that you're in says that you were misappropriating money and they dissolved your, your ministry. At what point do you say, you know what, maybe the Lord doesn't want me in ministry anymore? That's number one. But number two, at what point do... Uh, do we as believers say this person is no longer qualified to be a leader? That's my question. Is there a point? <laughs> the chat room. It certainly disqualifies him as an accountant. <laughs> no doubt. It certainly does. I think that there, I think that, you know, and the argument is, is, oh, well, King David, you know, he he was still a leader after after uh, Bathsheba. I think that that is not a very good example at all because he was the king of a nation, right? He wasn't teaching on the internet. He wasn't posting things on Facebook and, and or leading a community. He was the king of a nation. 
a little different than, you know, the spiritual role of a leader or a teacher. And I've had people say, well, Paul, you know, Paul was killing Christians, which he was, but he didn't, he wasn't a professed believer at that time. I think that my point is, is I believe that teachers and leaders should be held to a standard of, you know, certainly everyone is going to uh, have some form of sin, right? I don't believe in perfectionism. Uh, I, I am a perfect example of how perfectionism is not something I believe in. I'm not a perfect person. I don't claim to be a, you know, an overly holy person or anything like that. What I'm saying is, is that if you're living in sin or if you continue to re, re, um, <clears throat> revisit the uh, things like ripping off old people and or ripping off faith communities, doesn't that disqualify you? Rob's mind is totally in the chat room right now. Yeah, I'm having a good discussion with Lois about Michael Rood. Because <clears throat> I was talking to someone yesterday, they were like, oh, yeah, he used to be part of the Way International, and that was a cult, and he's not part of it anymore. And I'm like, okay, is that how you know the story? Because <laughs> I was there. I went to several of his presentations in Spokane, in Seattle, and in, in uh, uh, down in Portland. I actually went to his daughter's wedding because we had a mutual friend. He he presided over his daughter's wedding in Arlington, Washington. I was there. He was not representing any group but his own. He had his own website. He had his own calendars, Millennium 7000 or whatever, um, pushing Ron Wyatt, blood on the Ark of the Covenant. Oy vey. All this kind of stuff. The He had this model of the... of. Herod's temple that the pillars moved and it opened up a secret passageway in the door in the floor where they snuck away the Ark of the Covenant um, or not in Herod's temple in the early, in the Solomon's temple and uh, and it was how they you know it just strange stuff and he did the same stuff he was real charismatic got people excited real uh, a uh, deep voice that sounded authoritative. It's all the stuff that marks people, what we call think of as a good leader, someone who can speak clearly, get people's attention and get them to believe something, get them to follow. He's still doing that. So um, I have no reason to, to spend any time listening to anything he has to say. I think he's, uh, I think people should not listen to him. That's my opinion. Um, but it's not out of, no, it's not out of no knowledge. That's not out of, the thing uh, is, the thing is, is that for, for someone like Staley, okay, look, I, I have compassion, especially for his, his children and his wife. I, you know, I would expect that no matter what his wife is going to stand by him and that obviously his children, especially at the age that they're at, they believe in, and, and, uh, they believe what their dad is saying. And, and so I wouldn't expect them to say, oh, well, dad, you got to step down. But the other believers around him should say, look, even if you think that you're innocent, the Lord is clearly telling you not to do this. But that's not the case. You have tons of people going to their website and tons of, you know, he posts something on his blog and 500 people share it instantly. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, maybe there's yes, not an Terry, answer. Terry made a point. Well, Paul had a time period and the fruit of his ministry showed the Messiah's seal. I wonder... Um, that that's a good point. So Paul, maybe maybe what Terry's pointing out is that he, Paul wasn't uh, right off the bat um, 
recognized as a leader. And maybe, maybe, uh, that's what we could see. A, a difference is though, and if you look at Paul as well, Paul taught wrong and even persecuted the church and then came and became a believer. And so therefore, why can't we accept someone who was a, who robbed and plundered and now they became a preacher? What can't they just be like Paul? But see, uh, the thing is, Paul wasn't. Paul was pre- went from preaching against Yeshua to preaching Yeshua. That's the difference here. He went from preaching uh, preaching against Yeshua to pro Yeshua, not pro Yeshua plus I'm going to steal your money. To pro Yeshua, now I'm no longer a thief, right? Exactly. That's, that's the difference here. Because we judge insiders. People who are who already claim to be brothers, they get the judgment. The people who are not part of the body of Messiah, they're just doing what the world does. They're just in sin, right? It's the, it, so um, it dep- I wasn't sure how we were going to look at that. But yeah, Paul is a, a parady- paradigmatic example for why we don't write off Jews that are anti-Yeshua. We don't, that's, it's not our job to, to write them off and say that there's there's no hope. That's that's ridiculous. There's always hope. We hold out hope, uh, and that's uh, that's the, a big lesson there. All right, I think we're done for today. Next week, I would like to, if possible, talk. I don't, I don't know what we'll talk about in terms of the Reformation, but the Reformation's birthday or the beginning of the Reformation, according to tradition, Luther. Uh, nailed his 95 thesis to the door on October 31st, 500 years ago, this coming October 31st. And so uh, actually this is what the theme of the Evangelical Theological Society, the ETS, is going to be on this year. And uh, it's not really where my head is. Last year at this time, I was excited that it was uh, the ETS this year was going to be on the Reformation. Um, now, now that uh, my head is fully wrapped around something completely different, I'm wishing there was more sessions on what I'm actually studying, but uh, we're going to have a good time nonetheless. And people that are currently in the chat room are going to be there. Uh, I already have lunch uh, lunch appointments set up with people from, uh, from well, essentially from knowing them from social media and through uh, the chat room and, and other places. So excited about that. Anything else you want to share before we go, Rob? <coughs> <clears throat> yeah, me. Terry asked one good question. He says, "But if someone falls, should they no longer teach their children?" And I'm no, not saying no that a person. Should... That. We're, we're yeah. not ta- didaskala. The word teacher is not used for a person who's teaching his family. And not only that, but a person... th- th- we're talking a public ministry. Yeah. We're talking public ministry. Yeah, yeah, exactly, public ministry, and that's the point. And I was even uh, explaining to. I was talking in the office here this morning. You know, I have no. I, if Jim is is in prison, and uh, you know guys are asking him about the word or whatnot, by all means share your faith. We're all called to 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 share our faith and evangelize, right? But you know the donate buttons on the uh, huge website uh, that you're writing on constantly to try to teach people about the Bible. I, I mean, I think it's a bad witness. I honestly think it's a bad witness. But, okay, well, um, we hope that you've enjoyed this show. Once again, this show was kind of off the cuff, um, and I apologize for that. Normally, we spend a good amount of time putting our uh, efforts into what's going to be in the show and whatnot. Um, This show is more of a conversation than anything else. 
That's simply just because we have, you know, other things that are going on currently. But next week, hopefully, we'll be able to talk about the Reformation and, and dive into some uh, some other aspects of that. And yeah, uh, I hope that this conversation has done one specific thing. That is to bring you closer and get you to know more about one person, our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>